In this episode, we're going to talk about token bonding clubs. Token bonding clubs are a new innovative way to look at how to price tokens based on the changing supply of the tokens. So instead of token having a fixed price, it changes with the supply that's available in the market. So there are a lot of fun things to talk about. You have the different math involved, you have the different use cases, the different implications. It's more than just fundraising or it's more than just being an automatic market maker. There are a lot of considerations going on in token bonding clubs. So today we'll dive into token bonding clubs and how you can use it in your projects. Before we get started, it's good to understand where token bonding club lies in the token economics framework. So if we go back to the token economics framework, we see the three different pillars. You've got market design, mechanism design, and token design. Market design is really the design of the environment. The environment in which the tokens will, in the tokens will interact, the participants will interact with the tokens, or participants interact with each other facilitated by the tokens. Or maybe tokens don't exist, Market design is really just designing the environment in which all the different participants in your ecosystem interact with each other. Mechanism design is the second piece. It's talking about the rules of the game. So we talk about governance, we talk about incentive mechanisms. They don't require tokens. And other rules that participants have to play by if they want to join this ecosystem. And lastly, it's token design. So we put token design as a pillar on its own because tokens are the main incentive in this little ecosystem and this organization. And this is where token bonding curve comes in. Token bonding curve can come in in the token policy part, where we talk about monetary policy or valuation, because you can embed different governance and different incentives or governance rules and policies into your, your curve, into your function, into your math. Or it could be financial incentives, where you can embed different incentive mechanisms into your token bonding curves. That is where token bonding club lies, mainly in token policy and financial incentives. However, if you're looking at tokens as a non as an NFT, non-fungible token, then we can also probably consider some aspect of property rights into your token bonding club and embed it in. Today we're going to go into a more general topics that really just covers token policy as well as the financial incentives. Mainly just token policy, financial incentives comes in. It's more of a custom-made solution based on the kind of incentives that you have in place. So we'll start off with a general model, and then we'll talk about the different design or different styles that you can embed into your different mathematical functions. So today we're going to cover a couple of things. We're going to cover what token bonding curves are, the different types of curve functions, the different properties of token bonding curves, and then we're going to dive deeper into the, the four different curves available. There are going to be a lot more, but I just want to get started with the four curves. It's going to start from very simple linear curve to a bit more complicated to give you a, a grasp of how versatile this token bonding curves could be and these functions could be. It's not going to be too mathy, but it's going to be more um, understanding how these curves represent the different incentives that you have in place. This is also going to be a two-part series, so next episode we'll talk about a bit more of the implications, a bit more of the use cases, and deep diving into diff the different projects. Before we dive into the different projects, I think it's important to understand what token bonding curves are, what are the purposes that they serve, and how can you use them in your projects. So I'm going to get started with the basics, and then next episode we're going to do the implications and looking into the diff different projects. So what is token bonding curves? Token bonding curves is very, very simple. It's basically a line, a math, uh, a 
curve. It could be straight, it could be curvy. It's just a cup. We call them a function. It's a mathematical function that is on a graph. And to keep things simple, we're looking at a very simple 2D graph. So you have an x-axis and a y-axis, which is basically the x-axis will be the token supply and the y-axis will be the token price. So when I say what token bonding curves are, it's basically how the supply how the supply will affect the price. Where the supply changes, how does it affect the price? And this relationship is found in that line, that function that we, we are going to talk about. It's very simple to use the line to understand the different relationships because we embed all the different properties into that line. And that's where the beauty of math lies. We look at this curve. This function is just a straight line. It's a, it's a direct relationship of the supply and the, the price of these tokens. So we look at a supply of 40 tokens. So you draw a line up towards that function, that line. And then you correspond it to, at that point, what is the y-axis? What is the token price? That's 40. So this function really just ties in the relationship between the supply and the price. And this is good because you don't really, you are trying to limit the secondary market from participating because you're not using the supply and demand of the market in general, taking all the sentiments, taking all the expectations into it. You're just looking at your internal ecosystem and say that, okay, how many tokens are available in my system, in my market? And that's the price of the tokens. Very simple, very straightforward. So you're trying to reduce speculation to some extent. And this, once again, is a very simple model and we want to focus on the simple model first. So once again, token bonding curve is just a line, a mathematical curve that shows the relationship between the token supply and the token price. One of the biggest use cases is this thing called the automatic market maker. Because instead of having takers and makers or market makers and market takers to be providing liquidity, to be providing the price, you have it automatically in the, in the code, in the function, in that mathematical line that corresponds the supply and price. And this is one of the big use cases. At the end, instead of having the foundation or a couple of people to determine how much tokens to burn or how much tokens to mint, you have it all embedded into the function. You have it all embedded beautifully in code, in math, and on a graph, so that it will automatically mint or burn different tokens depending on the demand and supply and the pricing. The other alternative is to look at it as a, a different secondary market where you can determine, you can have two kinds of curves. Instead of just one curve to determine the price, you can have a buy curve and a sell curve. It's going to get a bit more complicated because it really depends on the incentive that you are looking at. If you are having you know, a sell curve that is a different price from a buy curve, and you, depending on how you structure your curves, you want to limit the, the amount of people selling the curves until a specific point in time because it, they will lose money, so they're not incentivized to do that. So the whole idea of token bonding curves is that it's, it's very versatile. You can use it based on whatever systems that you you're, are embedding, you're, you're building, you're designing. You can also use it in a different forms, different functions, and you can embed a lot of different governance and mechanism design into the curve, into the functions. And this is where it becomes more interesting and becomes more exciting. Of course, it can also go from very simple to very complicated depending on the kind of concepts that you want to build. Now, let's look at the four different properties that token bonding curves have. The first property is that it gets to be minted anytime. 
it gets implemented anytime according to the price set by the smart contract, which is by the function, the math function, that line that we talked about. So if there is if there is more in demands, people are adding more money into the pool and adding more liquidity into your, your ecosystem, then it will mint tokens accordingly, according to the, the function of the, or the smart contract. So no one gets to decide how much to mint at what price. Everything is determined automatically. The second thing is that the price increases as long as the token supply grows, which is very good because this is a representation of the economic value that it accrues, your ecosystem accrues. The more tokens that are available in the market, it shows that there are more people, you have you get the network effects, you you thicken your ecosystem in, in the market design terms, you increase your network effects, and you increase the economic value that this ecosystem can bring. What does that mean? It means that your monetary value of the ecosystem also increases. How do we see the increase in, in monetary value? We see that in token prices. So this relationship just shows that when there are more tokens out in the market, the price increases. Because more people believe in the project, more people are buying the, the tokens, more people are using the tokens, and so prices increase. So it's a way of changing or a way of correlating economic value increase with monetary value. And this is done automatically in this system or in these functions. The third thing is that Money is kept in the smart contract as a reserve pool or a, a pool balance, whatever you want to call it. It's, for, it's a form of collateral. So if you look at a lot of different projects right now, you know, you have all these liquidity pools going on. You have Maker, Balancer, um, Compound, DYDX, Curve, all these different projects. They are looking at creating liquidity in their pool. So in the same way, the smart contract also keeps liquidity, it also keeps this collateral and that's how it gives the value to these token pricing. And this is all done in code, in smart contracts, so it's transparent. And then these collaterals, where you want to keep them, it's, uh, it really depends on your system. It, you, can, you can outsource it to a custodian to keep your collaterals, or you can self-collateralize, or whatever that your project is doing. But it's a very clear, transparent accountability and transaction where you can see how much money is in the pool collateral or the liquidity pool, and that's how it gives the value to the, the tokens, depending on the supply. The first point is that it can be minted anytime. So the last point is that it can be burnt anytime. Tokens can be burnt, and the person who burns the tokens or these addresses, when they burn these tokens, they get to keep parts of the collateral back. And the collateral is not dependent on how much collateral you put in in the first place. It's really dependent on on the curve itself. So the curve will keep track keep track and the accountability of the amount of collaterals in, in the place. And then when you burn, you will take part of the collaterals out. And all this will be calculated based on this math functions available. So you reduce bribery, you increase transparency, and you increase accountability for where the tokens are, how the tokens are accounted for, the pricing of tokens, and the mint and burn schedule. It's not done based on buyback and or profits burn, but it's done based on the demand by the people and how much they want to withdraw or put in into the, the token pool. So those are the four, four properties of a token bottom curve. Based on the, the four different properties, now we can look at the ways it can be used. We have different incentive mechanisms in place and the token bonding curve just embed these incentive mechanisms. Not all, some of the incentive mechanisms into the math function and then we can create some pretty cool token models. And based on the use cases of these 
models, then you have different types of incentive mechanisms. So for example, you can have instant liquidity because instead of having a market maker or market taker filling up the books, you have them automatically done with a math function. You can have continuous minting and burning. So instead of having governance pool to say how much we'll burn, how much we'll mint, based on the, the quarterly profits or, or results of the ecosystem, you will do this automatically. Everything's embedded in code and defined with math. You can also build in a bid ask spreads to generate income from liquidity. That's where we saw just now, you have two types of curve. You have a buy curve and a sell curve. And the difference will, will be profits that goes back into the ecosystem and can be distributed to the people who hold the tokens and they're rewarded for holding the tokens. So it's a different way of staking, it's a different way of incentive mechanism to reward your users. You can also embed different kind of incentive mechanisms. So you want to reduce pump and dump. And you can do that by have, by changing the curves or the gradients of the different curve functions. We'll talk about it later. We'll just talk about how the different shapes of the curves will affect the, the different incentive mechanisms that you have in place. And lastly, it can embed different kind of economic rules. Simple ones could be, you know, having a fixed supply. And we can always get a fixed supply by embedding it into the system, by embedding it into the math. Or you can have different kind of economic rules, governance rules, whatever rules that you have in place, and you can transform them or translate them into math and imbue it into your system and imbue it into your math function. So where does the value of bonding curve come from? The intrinsic value is that these users, these token holders, are entitled to some form of future cash flow that's brought in by the system. It's quite similar to how Compound and, and um, DYDX and Balancer and all these different tokens have in place where you are entitled to some future cash flow that is generated by the ecosystem and you get proportions of it. In the same way, it's quite similar because by holding the tokens, you are allowing the value to accrue in, in the pool balance and then it increases until a certain amount and then when you withdraw, that's where you are cashing in the, the monetary value increase based on the future cash flow or based on the cash flow at that moment and you can withdraw that profits. So that is one that is one example of how where the intrinsic value comes from. The other way is also to look at art. So whatever we've talked about is really more of an ERC utility token that is being trans is being traded quite often. If we look at art, the value of bonding curves can also come in because we're assigning a tangible value to your, your art. And an example would be an art has a specific value and you can you can have different rules in place where you are looking at increasing the value based on the the quantity that or the supply that the artist is producing based on the demand of people producing the art and then the value of this art based on the name of the artist increases. So there are different ways of giving value to, to the tokens that you're looking at, be it ERC20, um, NFTs, or utility tokens, governance tokens, different types of token functions and token design. The downside though, is that it could be manipulated. Once again, it's very easy to say that everything is a scam. You know, everything is securities fraud, everything is a scam, everything is a fraud. And because everything is a fraud, you have to be careful as well. So how can, how can these token bonding curves be a fraud? It can be a fraud when the value is only increasing because of the people pumping and dumping. 
uh, people keep pumping the pricing up so that you, your collateral size pool increases, but there isn't actual economic value being generated in your ecosystem. Every All the value that increases is an arbitrary value based on the deposits or based on the pool balance. So that is where is the scam. But it is not a scam when this ecosystem is able to generate economic value, it is able to give the intrinsic value of getting a share of the future cash flow to token holders. It is not a scam when it is there is more than just having more people buying into the tokens. The other way of manipulation, which I think is a lot trickier, is, is the fact that it is an automatic market maker. And the thing about automation is that it's very, it's very easy to be manipulated when you have high volume transfer. So in BZX, there are a lot of hacks, even in Compound, there are different hacks. And these hacks happen because a lot of things are automatically rebalanced which is what our system, our this token bonding curve can also do. It rebalances automatically based on the different supply available and the prices change. So when you have huge volumes coming in, it really changes the, the functions quite a bit because these, these functions or these models work very well for nominal daily transactions. You know, I buy coffee and then I trade or I buy a couple of things to support your artwork and that works. But if you're doing very high volume, you, you're looking to you know, drain the liquidity pool or you're looking to manipulate the different balances or the price of tokens, you can do that when you have high amount of volume being transacted. This is quite vulnerable to manipulation. However, as always, there are always ways to restrict that and to govern this manipulation. We'll not talk about it right here because it's going to be way too complicated. But once you know the different kind of risks involved, you can just embed them into either into the model, into the governance of the system, into the mechanism design, which are the rules, or different kind of token design into your system. So it's good to know what kind of risks your system is looking at. Token bonding curves are not a be-all and all perfect solution and perfect model for your tokens. There are also a lot of risks involved and also a lot of risks to be considered. You can't mitigate all the different risks in a model itself. You can reduce them, but you can't remove them totally. So there are other ways to reduce or mitigate the risks involved in your tokens. For example, you can change the shape of your curve to reduce selling your tokens early, or you can have a time lock for the amount of tokens to stake, just like what a lot of tokens are doing. You can have penalties for selling early. You can have penalties either upfront, or you can have penalties in the curve function that you're looking at. You can have a premium for selling, so you have the buy-sell curves. So when if you sell, then you have to pay X amount of money and the money will go back to the, the users and the community. You can disallow a sell function, so you can have no sell function until a specific amount where you reach a level of maturity, then you can sell them. And you can also limit the supply by coding it into the function. So these are just you know quick examples of how to mitigate risks. Once again, the risks are really dependent on your project on your incentive that you have in place and your governance. So this is not a, a list that is this it. You know, this is just a snapshot of the kind of ways to mitigate risks. It really depends on the projects that you, you have in mind. So now let's get down to the math stuff. The math stuff is really interesting. I hope it's not too complicated. If it's too complicated and if you want me to repeat them or go slower and you want me to talk about it again, just let me know in the comments below. Otherwise, I will just get right into the math stuff. Okay, so in the math stuff, there are, we'll talk about four different functions. 
There are way more functions available, but let's just focus on four. And these four functions are just looking at the x and y axis, like a 2D, 2D graph. So just relationship between two variables, tokens and supply. You could have a more expert or more complicated math structure based on more variables, but this is just a start. So let's just focus on just two variables, supply and demand, or supply and pricing. Do note that some incentive mechanisms are embedded into the graphs, but they are not a, an output function. So maybe, you know, we have logarithmic functions that we're going to talk about later. They are not going to, the log, logarithmic function is not going to be the, in the final output of the graph or, or the curve, but it's going to be part of the math calculation when getting to this end, end result. Before we get started with the four different curves, let's talk about functions. What are functions? Functions are just the shape of the curve. You have these shapes of the curve to talk about the correlation, so the relationship between two factors, which is your supply and your price. So think of it as your function is talking about a relationship between a girl and a guy. So this function, this math function, is the mathematical relationship between these two, this guy and girl, according to um, the time they spend together. And then you can graph it up. So it's just a relationship. It, this line shows the relationship between two functions. Based on that, the line can have a lot of different shapes. It can be curvy, it can be straight, it can have a concave curve, a convex curve, it could have funky curves, it can go up and down. There are different kinds of curve functions and they just talk about the, the relationship between the two different factors. So if, if a guy and girl has a very complicated relationship, so we can probably see the curve going, you know, very messy, very, very messed up because that shows the relationship between both of them. But since we're talking about token prices and token supply, it's slightly easier. You have less complication, less variables to consider because the variables are a bit more quantitative in nature. We're going to talk about four different curves. The first one is a linear function. It's a very simple, basic curve. It's, it's a line. The second is a power function. So it's a, a curve. We have a logarithmic function. So the log function, and this is this is also quite fun. And the last one we have a sigmoid function. A sigmoid function is usually used in computer science and it's used in machine learning. Its application is, is very powerful in that aspect, but I think this curve can also come into a very good use case for your token pricing. Let's get started with a linear function. A linear function is a very simple model that has a direct correlationship between the supply and pricing. So when supply goes up by X amount, pricing will also go up by N amount. And this amount is always constant. So the change is very constant. If supply goes up by 10%, then maybe demand or the pricing goes up by 10%. And at any stage, at any stage, depending on no matter how many tokens are there out in the space, as long as there's a 10% increase in supply, there's a 10% increase in pricing. So it's a very direct correlationship between pricing and supply. A simple application would be a collateral type of application, like USDT. One US dollar is, create, is correlated to one USDT being minted. So if you think about it, this instead of putting one US dollar into the bank, and the bank proves that the one US dollar is, is there, and then Tether will mint one USD, this is done automatically. I send information to the smart contract, it will read and it will keep your collateral, your one US dollar, and then it will be minting one USDT based on that. So it's, it's a very linear function. 
And this is best used for collateral types of token creation or token minting. Another application would be a simple token pricing, say crowdfunding. So the more people holding the tokens, the more it increases in value. And the value is justified because more people holding the tokens, more economic value it can, it can accrue and the more valuable the platform generates or the platform is. If the ecosystem itself generates value, then it can support the, the valuation and the pricing of these tokens and it is not a scam. One way we see linear functions being used is in the automatic market maker of Bancor's protocol. And it calculates the conversion formula for the pricing of token based on how much, based on the different supply of tokens available. The second function that we want to talk about is the power function. The power function has a less direct relationship or co-relationship between the supply and the token price. Previously in the linear function, we talked about how 10% increase in supply will result in a fixed percent increase in pricing. In a, in a power function, this relationship is a whole. So a 10% increase in supply today might only increase 5% in token price and in the future, 10% increase in supply will result in a bigger increase in token price. It really depends. So that is, that is the power function. If you want a little bit of the math explanation, the derivation of the power function is a linear function. This is more useful if you have other incentive mechanisms in place and other governance for your, for your token because not, not every incentive mechanism is, is being embedded into the math and into the math function of this model or this power function. An application could perhaps be in NFTs because then your, your increase will be a bit more exponential or art because that is where usually prices just explode that way. Or it could be used in, a, some, in something a bit more short-term period to gather and garner some, some interest in people because pricing will increase quite significantly based on the design of your tokens. You can change your token economics after, after it reaches critical mass and this, is, this could be a way to gather critical mass. But this, I wouldn't recommend this to be your long-term solution. The third function is a logarithmic function. It is usually used in a more indirect way, and that means your output function, your output math curve, that curve, wouldn't have a log function inside, but a log will be embedded in other aspects of the curve, and then finally embedded into the output function. One way to see this example is a research paper that I've written for Bancor, and I will link it in in the comments or I'll link it in the description so that you can get access to it. It shows the, the math of how Bancor is calculating their conversion rate based on the log function. The last function that we want to talk about is the sigmoid function. It's a bit more complicated, but don't worry, we wouldn't go too much into the details. A sigmoid function has a natural upper limit, so in that sense, you could always embed a fixed supply into your function and that is part of your, your monetary policy of your tokens, which is very good. And statistically, the derivation of a sigmoid function is a normal curve. How can we use this curve? The beauty of this curve is to allow for the community to reach a threshold to accumulate more rewards, and then we can also have a program upper limit, which is our token supply, into the curve. And if we can calculate a critical mass needed for the ecosystem, so we can get to the mean, then we can embed this function because once again, 
the derivative of this function is a normal probability function. So we can, if we can get the mean of this normal probability function, it's embedded into the sigmoid function itself, and then it can change the gradient of the rewards, which is your incentive function. So in simple terms, if we can get the amount of people to reach a critical threshold, and that is defined by the normal the, the distribution curve function, we can embed it into the sigmoid curve. And what does that translate into? That translates into changing the incentive function as the number of people enters the ecosystem. So it takes in a lot more information of your different incentive mechanisms of your different variables than just allowing it to exist as a very simple co-relationship between token supply and token pricing. So now let's move on to the different curves available. Before I end, I just want to end with the last point. How do you calculate the price? The price, right now, we have seen that how the token supply correlates to the token value, to the price of the token. But how do you calculate how much you are getting out from, how much collaterals you need to put in, or how much collaterals you're taking out? And the way to calculate price is very easy. If you look at the graph, it's just the area under the curve. So if you just integrate the entire, if you integrate the curve function, and then you look at the, your change in token supply, that will give you the collaterals that you'll be receiving, or based on the collaterals that you're putting in, it will, trans, it will translate to how many tokens that you'll be, it'll be minted and given to you. So it becomes a very simple, easy way to calculate that. The beautiful thing about automation and all these automatic, automatic systems is that it's calculating things for you automatically. But we also have to make it easy enough so that the, the smart contracts or the math or the system itself doesn't overwork and find very difficult ways to, to calculate, which will take a longer time to process. And what happens when it takes a longer time to process, you will experience a lot of beta slippage. And that's not what we want. So we want something easy, simple, that is easy to calculate. Integra integration is quite easy to calculate, especially when you have the curve functions available. And that will give you the amount of collaterals that you'll be receiving, or based on the collaterals that you put in, how many tokens will be minted. So things are calculated very easily. That's it for the first part of this two-part series on token bonding curves. Next week we'll talk more about the implications as well as the different as well as the different use cases and how other projects use them. If you're interested in more topics like this, you can log on to the Token Economics Blueprint course. There are 10 courses in total, taking a total of 15 hours, and the course is payable based on the kind of content that you want. So 10 different, 10 different modules, you can just pay, pay accordingly. I'm going to refund them as well. So if you are if you already if you have already purchased any one of them, you will get the the refilm version for free as well because it gives you lifetime access. So then if you have any questions, just put them in the comments below and I will speak to you in the next episode. Bye!